Hey, this is Sebastian the Jet. You are listening to Soccer Subs. This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Soccer Sub. Go listen. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 41. My name is Ronnie, joined here by my two Soccer Subs co-hosts, Christian and Eric. How are you guys, man? How are you guys doing? Ronnie, it's MLS playoffs, so it's going to be crazy. I'm just super excited because we got a special guest in the studio. And yeah, let's talk about soccer. Let's talk about MLS playoffs. Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Oh, man, we are back, man. Oh, can't, you know, we got MLS playoffs to talk about. We have awards to talk about, managerial news coming up. It's It's been a crazy football week, you know? And as always, I can't wait to talk about it. Episode 41, here we go. Uh, that's right, Eric. Yep, episode 41. Can't believe we're already in the 40s. For the soccer fans, as usual, we got a big show for you guys today. We got a special guest joining us in just a little bit. He's an MLS player who's previously played for the New York Red Bulls, Montreal Impact, the Portland Timbers. Most recently, he was with FC Cincinnati as a right back. We got the one and only Mr. Chris Duval joining us in just a little bit. Oh, man, I know you guys are going to love it. And another big reason why it's a big episode, we got one of my guys here who I've known for quite some time, Andy Bahania, who it's a big pleasure to have him on the show. Andy, say what's up, man. Good to have you on, man. Thanks for taking the time. Welcome, Andy. <laughs> How are we doing, lads? It's an honor to be on the show. You guys always have legends on the show, uh, you know, even Chris Duval. And it's an honor to be here, dude. So thank you guys for having me on the show. Absolutely, Andy. Yeah, we'll get to you in just a little bit. I know we want to get into some MLS soccer. But uh, since we last recorded, this is episode 40. Again, two weeks is an eternity. Ralph Ragnick officially in Man U as the interim head coach. I know last time we talked, Michael Carrick was looking like he was going to be the interim. We got a Messi officially winning the Ballon d'Oro. We knew it already, as Eric said. That is official, official. FC Dallas got themselves a new head coach, Nico Estevez. That is official as of today. And yes, MLS playoffs. We got our last four teams standing. Portland, Real Salt Lake, and New York City, Philly. And oh, man, if, if you asked me, if you would have told me Real Salt Lake in the top four, <laughs> I would have said you're crazy. Real Salt Lake. Wow. Um, props to them, though. You know, props to Freddy Juarez, who we had on the show recently, and Props to the yeah, Mastrioni, Mastrioni, Pablo yeah. Mastrioni, who's doing a great job over there and great things for that club over there. But yeah, guys, let's just talk the last four teams standing. This past weekend, New York City FC beating New England Revolution, a New England Revolution team that broke a record for the most MLS season points, 73 points. And we witnessed history. So Andy, I mean, it was a special day. I know it was your birthday on top of that, man. What was that game day like, man? And just what were your emotions throughout the game? probably one of the best playoff games I've seen in a long time. Yeah, man. I mean, Jesus Christ, where do I even start? I, I, for anyone to, to be their favorite sports team playing on their birthday, you know, it's an incredible feeling. And for someone who has a birthday in late November, you don't really get to see your MLS team playing unless they make it that far. So when the day began, I already knew that it was going to be an amazing day. Like I knew the whole week, um, no matter how the day ends, it was going to be the best day. And I told everyone at the tailgate, you know, like, listen, when this game's over, we're all going to celebrate like it's all of our birthdays because we're going to win. And I never for a second thought, you know, like 
that we weren't going to win. I just, I never think that way going into any game. So yeah, man, it was a great feeling being with all the supporters, you know, uh, everyone was so nice, you know, even like, because it was my birthday, people saying things like, I hope the team wins for you. I know what it would mean. And I mean, honestly, dude, I know that I know what it feels like for everyone. Like we all wanted the team to win. We all want to make it to the next round. Uh, it was just, just happened to be the day that I was born. And it's so incredible to think that New York city made history on November 30th. You know, we, we share that. And the game itself was, it was insane, dude. I was actually behind the visitors bench. So I was surrounded by new England fans. They were elderly. So I didn't really have to worry about anyone, you know, trying to scrap with me. I I probably would have got my ass kicked if it was one of the, (laughs) besides that, started getting really intense towards the end like when we scored and then they scored I was getting really emotional because it was just like we we have horrible uh history and penalties so when it was going to penalties I was like I think I've seen this one way too many times before but um you know even when Kayan scored the game winner it was kind of felt like I was in I've never been to war but it felt like I was in a war zone you know like it was so unreal I didn't even realize we won the game when he scored until I saw everyone run on the field and uh it was just such an unreal feeling to think like we actually did it we're actually going to the next round and doing we're seeing a history that we've never seen before and only God knows if we'll see again so yeah man um what one of the team staffs gave me his jacket as well so i really appreciated that it was you know a great birthday and um a great playoff experience and i really hope that you know everyone in their lifetime gets to see their favorite sports team playing on their birthday because it's a really great feeling (laughs) absolutely andy i mean christian let me throw it to you real quick man what was your reaction to that man well, like Andy described, it sounded magical, and it was. Uh, we were at Carragher's with all the New York City FC supporters, so it was just as crazy as it was in the stadium. Saw the I mean, we lifted it. You saw the videos. Everybody yeah. was jumping around. Everybody was celebrating. I mean, look, you have two goals scored on the first 10 minutes, and then you have two goals scored in the last minutes of extra time that's how wild (laughs) this crazy game was but i mean if we have to break it down this was a tactical master plan by ronnie Dyla. you can see how the team was so organized defensively i think the line the back four were just incredible in covering and attacking you have to give credit also to that trio of that midfield because you have Alfredo Morales, you have James Sands, and you have Santi tracking back to close the channel of passes. They, that's why they frustrated this team. The New England team was so frustrated because Carlos Hill couldn't get on the ball. Then you have Tejum Buchanan looking for fouls. And, and all the team looked frustrated. They couldn't find ways to connect and combine with passes. So that's something that have to be a lot of credit to this team. I think the, the the Santi Rodriguez and Maxi Morales combination has really lifted this team offensively. I cannot tell you how well they understand each other. And then Tati Castellano supporting from up top, combining the attacking uh, on the third, uh, third zone of the field. You can see this team has been playing well collectively. I think at the end, you know, we got a little bit of, of, of sweaty hands. Uh, we started, we started, Worrying because, first of all, we lose Tati Castellanos after scoring the 2-1, the go-ahead goal, and then he gets a red card. 
And then the, we noticed it. What is it? 19 year old Taven Gray is injured and he's playing it with one leg in the last minutes. And that's how they tie the game because we didn't have enough strength to cover up spaces anymore. We're playing extra time. So it was just exciting to see how they held back. I think also the game with the fullbacks, it was just impressive. I see a little bit of that Man City blueprint when they were so deep in the attack. I, I really do. And, and you can see how you get an advantage with numbers on the field. And this is the reason why they nominated, they dominated the game. 67, 60 or 67% of possession in New England at Gillette Stadium. It's something that has to be credited to uh, Ronnie Dyla. Absolutely, man. That was a special game right there. I mean, Eric, let me throw it to you, man. I know you've been saying New York is blue, but I know you were nervous, man, going into that game. No, yeah. I mean, I was definitely nervous. I mean, we were talking uh, New England, who, you know, broke the record in points this year in MLS. Definitely a scary opponent to face. But uh, listen, for everyone who, like, you know, turns your eye to or turns away from MLS, this game had everything. I mean, you're talking early goals. You're talking extra time. You're talking late goals. You're talking red cards. You're talking even penalties. Listen, most people don't like when it goes to penalties. I freaking love penalties. I think mm-hmm. as, as a fan, you just stand by and you just clench your teeth, put your hands, you start praying, and, you know, you got to love it. I love penalties. And honestly, this was a great game. I'm looking forward to Philly. And you know what? Again, New York is still blue. We're taking it all, all the way home. Andy, man, let me throw it to you real quick. just want to talk to you about the next opponent, man, Philadelphia Union. How you feel <laughs> for this upcoming game, man? I mean, I'm, I, I don't want to say... All right. I'm feeling confident as hell, man, because we just beat New England Revolution, the team that's in first place. Now we got to go to Philadelphia. To be fair, Philly also knows that if they beat us and I'm pretty sure they would host the MLS Cup, right? Like regardless of who wins, they would host. So I know they want this really bad. And um, and I know that we want it bad, too. And the fact that we beat New England just gives me um, faith and hope that we can beat Philadelphia. And, you know, like you said earlier, RSL is on their little Cinderella story. So who knows, man, maybe they'll make it to the final and we're going to have an MLS Cup final at the Yankee Stadium. And I'm really not trying to be biased just because, you know, I've got like the inaugural uh, season pendant and a jersey on. Like, I really, really do have faith in these boys. They're young. You know, they're like these young South Americans that are hungry to make a name for themselves. There's like now uh, rumors of Cayennes going to Europe every year. You hear of Tati maybe going to Palmeiras or some Brazilian clubs. So it's going to be exciting to see what happens during the offseason. And I hope that we just make the best of this season. And yeah, man, the boys, they can go all the way, man. Absolutely, Andy. No, thanks for that, man. And Christian, let me just throw it to you real quick. I know we were talking offline, man. I know you were talking about the Eastern Conference is definitely stronger than the West this year. You still think it's that case where, regardless, NYCFC or Philly, you think it's coming home to the East? I mean, Columbus won it last year, right? But right now, you really have to look at the the opponents that we have. I mean, Portland is always strong. And then Rioja Lake, like Andy said, is in a Cinderella story. And sometimes it, it, this greedy games, it, you, you need that. You need that belief. And I like that. And he mentioned that as well, because New York CFC looked like they believed that they can win. And they showed it, playing away. So if they're able, they're capable of doing that away against the best team in the league, they can do that in Philly. And when you mention about not being able to have their starters, Philly not having their uh, Bedoya, not having Andrew Blake, not having Wagner, possibly these are rumors. We don't know exactly who these players are, but you know, New York City FC is just waiting for that game on Sunday and they're going to come out swinging. They're going to come out 
after them, which is something that Philly will struggle with. You know, that's the and one of the problems with Nashville, why they lost this game is because they were too conservative. They were great defensively, but you got to put some pressure on them, just like the Rebels did on Philly. You know, they took the game until the last minute of extra time on the 123rd minute because of that pressure. So I'm pretty sure that Ronnie Dyla knows exactly how to play this game, probably a little bit similar to New England. And if you were to ask me, yeah, Tati Castellanos is not in the game, but you have Thiago Andrade, you have uh, Hebert, you also have uh, the Brazilian striker that you guys brought in. I mean, I think it's it's not a replaceable and the team is just fully too too strong to compete and they're able to win this game for sure. Listen, we had Jim Curtin not too long ago, a great coach, phenomenal guy. Part of me really, really wants NYCFC to win because if you think about it, no New York sports team has ever, you know, it's been a while since New York has won a championship in any sport, baseball, you know, football, basketball. And, you know, NYCFC bringing the cup home, you know, you, ne you never know. Maybe we get a stadium off of that, you know? NYC is blue, baby. Uh, you brought up a good point, Eric. I like that. Yeah. If, if NYCFC were to win a championship, oh, my God, that's more pressure. We got to get that stadium. Andy's, I, I know I, Andy's been an advocate with that for, yeah. for quite some time. But uh... <laughs> No, I, I have to ask you both, though. Being able to play the MLS Cup final at Yankee Stadium, probably in front of 60, 70,000 people, how would that feel for you guys? I have to ask you that. Andy, I'm, I'm going to throw that to you, man. I mean, we were just talking, do you think it'd sell out? I mean, you, you fully expecting a, a sold-out Yankee Stadium, 70,000, for the MLS final, if if we were to make it? Would we sell out? <laughs> we, we could. There's no reason why we can't. There's no reason. We've got 8 million people. You're going to tell me we can't find even 1 million people, let alone 100,000 people that like soccer? I also think, depending who we play, if we play Portland, we wait, no, never mind. If we play Portland, we'd be away. So it would have to be RSL. Okay. I was going to say, if we play Portland, you know that they're going to bring uh, a big uh, following. RSL might bring a big following too, because I believe 2010 might've been their last MLS cup. So, you know, I think, dude, it's possible. It's possible to, to fill up the stadium with, you know, 50,000 football lovers. And uh, I can't wait to see it happen. <laughs> I mean, the last championship was the Yankees in 2009, I believe. So if this is a team that's ready to become the next MLS Cup champions, this is the time you have to go. This is the time you have to fill the stadium. This is the time for New York City FC, man. Absolutely, man. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for, for all the good insight. We got to get over to our special guest, uh, Chris Duval. He's joining us in just a little bit. You might have seen him with the Portland Timbers, Montreal Impact, the New York Red Bulls, and most recently, FC Cincinnati. I just saw the FC Cincinnati roster moves. I believe they're moving on from him. So Chris Duval might be a free agent looking for his next club. We're definitely keeping an eye on him. But yeah, Chris Duval is coming up next. Let's go. All right, soccer fans. We have a special guest joining the show today. Really excited about this one. He's an American professional soccer player, played at right back, and also been in the league for a little over seven years. He's played for clubs such as the New York Red Bulls, the Montreal Impact, and the Houston Dynamo. He currently wears number 26 for FC Cincinnati. So please give a warm welcome to the one and only Mr. Chris Duvall. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> oh, man, a pleasure. Thanks so much for being on with us, man. First things first from all of us, how are you? Overall, I know it's been a crazy MLS season. Just how, how have you been overall throughout this MLS season? 
Yeah, yeah, I've been good. This is uh, it's been a roller coaster of a year for sure. Um, I was a free agent for most of the season and then ended up signing with FC Cincinnati, um, which I'm sure, as you know, is uh, hasn't hasn't been doing too well. The team hasn't been doing too well and, and not as good as we've hoped. But for myself personally, I'm just happy to be, you know, back putting on the jersey and training every day with the with the guys. And, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. Absolutely, Chris. I mean, no, definitely. I mean, we've definitely seen the FC Cincinnati struggles. We'll we'll touch on that later on. I mean, the MLS is a crazy league. Like, you know, any team could be any team on a, on a given day. That's what we love about the about the game and just the league in, in general. Chris, one of the first things, you know, one of my first real questions I had for you, just early beginnings, you know, just for, just for the soccer fans who may not know, but um, we saw you were born in Georgia. Had to ask you, man, I think of Georgia, I think of the Falcons, you know, I think of like more of a football state. I got to ask you, man, curious how you got started with soccer. You know, how'd you pick up the game? Um, I heard your interview on Perfect Soccer with Quincy. I think you talked yeah. about your older brother and your dad. So I don't know if that's still, that was kind of still the case. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. My my older brother, he's he's six years uh, older than me. And I mean, you know how it is with, with younger brothers. I just want to do whatever my older brother was doing. If he had ended up playing baseball, I probably would have played baseball. But I just wanted to kind of follow in his footsteps and do what he was doing. So you know, started playing soccer. I played some basketball and I think my parents tried putting me in baseball, but I was bored standing in the outfield or something. I said they stood around too much. So I, you know, wanted something that I could run around a lot and ended up landing with soccer. Oh, we're glad you did, man, because uh, you've had a heck of a career and now, nah, man, definitely excited to be on with you. Fast forwarding a little bit from that, man, we saw you went to Wake Forest. I think we saw a political science uh, major. Uh, selected 22nd in the MLS Super Draft. I got to ask you, you know, do you still remember like it was yesterday that that Super Draft? And um, I mean, one thing that we're curious about is like in those kind of drafts, does the team let you know in advance that they're going to take you like or was it a surprise? Like just I think what, 22, 23 years old, packing your bags and going to play in New York and probably having Thierry yeah. Henry as your teammate coming up. Like that must have been crazy. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing was like a, a it was a huge surprise because I. I kind of went into the combine as an unknown commodity. I was just hoping like, okay, if I'm not the dead last, like worst player in this combine, then maybe I have a chance to get drafted. And I did well. And and at the combine, you have meetings with the coaching, with the coaches of different clubs that are interested. And I had a lot of meetings because no one had heard of me going into the draft. I wasn't like a high recruit, but New York wasn't one of the teams that had a meeting with me. So, you know, when I'm sitting at home at the draft or watching the draft on TV with my parents, I'm like, okay, well, you know, Montreal's up. I had a meeting with them. Like, maybe they'll pick me. San Jose's up. Oh, I had a meeting with them. And then New York came to pick. And we weren't even really paying that much attention because I was like, okay, well, I didn't have a meeting with them, so they're not interested. Um, yeah, and I got picked by them. It was a huge surprise, but I'm happy they did. It was uh, an incredible part of my career. I got to go back to film, man, and just see your reaction. Like, New York, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked. I don't think I'd ever been that far north, honestly, until that point. So when I landed for preseason, there was snow on the ground, and I was I felt like a whole different world, man. So, Chris, I also heard you on Quincy America was Perfect Soccer Podcast, and I think you had touched up on, I think, having some cultural changes that you had to experience moving from New York to Montreal. One of them being your conversion rate of money, I think, from Canadian yeah. dollars to American dollars. And mm. that kind of just got me curious to want like to ask if 
there were any other cultural changes that you possibly experienced within Montreal that was big on a difference between New York and what was it like sharing a locker room with guys like Nacho Piatti and Marco Donadel and it seemed very diverse culturally. Yeah, Montreal's a really cultural, culturally diverse city. It's very European. And so I think kind of like with most European cities, it's, you know, you get some people that is French is their first language, some Italian, some German, some a little bit of everything. And so you feel it really does have a European feel to it. Honestly, one of the biggest, uh, I mean, there's a lot of little things that were like changes that you don't really think about when you have to live in a foreign country. But like, for example, like if a light bulb goes out, you know, in my apartment, I'm like, oh, I'll just go to, you know, Target and get another light bulb. But there's no Target in Montreal. You know, it's like I've got to figure out a new place to go to get little things, you know. So it's it's <laughs> it's just a lot of little things like that. It's not like an inconvenience. It's just a whole new world, it feels like. You know, so it's uh, it's definitely a culturally diverse place. And French is definitely the first language there, which was an adjustment. But it was really cool. It was a really cool time. Did you have any sort of French experience before going to Montreal? Or was it just like, boom, you're getting dropped in the deep end? No, I had taken French in school for a long time, for That's good. years. Yeah, so I actually had, I never really thought I'd get a chance to use it unless I visited Paris for some reason. So it was actually like, it was a nice surprise because I wasn't expecting to ever use it. And I ended up speaking French just about every day I was there. So right. I wouldn't say my French is great, <laughs> but my comprehension is pretty good. I've still got French teammates that, they'll speak to me in French and I'll respond in English. So as long as they aren't forced, as long as they don't have to like listen to me speak French, I think we can get by. <laughs> and uh, also to backtrack a little bit on your time in New York, you're mm -hmm. part of some pretty special teams. I think under Petke in 2014, you guys were one goal away from winning MLS cup 2015. Yeah. You win the supporter shield on the Jesse Marsh. And mm -hmm. as a Red Bulls fan, I'm just a little curious. What were some possible coaching changes that, you noticed and which one did you prefer playing on there coaching changes between my like differences Pecky between Pecky and Marsh it was a drastic difference honestly I loved Mike Petke he was you know the one that drafted me he gave me my first shot I played like 20 games my rookie year because of him and he was very much the kind of coach that I think veterans love which I didn't know at the time because I was a rookie but he was a player's coach you know, he, he let the guys express themselves on the field. Um, he was very defensive minded first. And then the offensive side of the field, you can just you're, you're free to do what you like. He tried to focus, I feel like, mainly on, on player management. Um, so like the workload that the guys were putting in, we had an older team at the time. I, I really love playing for Pecky, but I, I do think that Jesse is, is probably my favorite coach that I've ever played for. And I'm sure if you, you know, listen to any other players that have played for him, they'd probably say the same, but he's the kind of guy that, you know, you'll wake up and have a Tuesday training that doesn't really mean anything. And by the time he's done talking, you're like ready to run through a brick, brick wall for no reason. Like, <laughs> you're like, what, like, why do I feel like this on a Tuesday? It's not even game day, you know, like, and his tactics, I felt like fit the way that I preferred to play for me personally. And he was a good guy. You know, I think he made a really good first impression on all of us, first of all, because he when he explained his tactics, we all were like, that's not going to work. And he would sit with us and be like, OK, I'll, I'll prove it to you. And he would like have an open mind about us having doubts and show us why it would work. And then on top of that, my my parents would always go to preseason because we go down to Florida. And it was 
the closest at the time that we would come to to Atlanta because Atlanta United wasn't the team yet. And I think we had a preseason scrimmage. And afterwards, just I just see Jesse walking across the field. And like my parents are just sitting there. They haven't talked to anyone. No one knows that they're my parents. Like just two random people sitting on the side of the field. And Jesse went over and introduced himself and invited them to all the team meals and everything. And it was like, those are the kinds of things that were completely unwarranted. No one said he had to do it. He didn't like, he had no need to like impress me with that. But those are the types of things that make guys want to give everything for a coach. So, you know, he was uh, both coaches, I think are fantastic. I would love to play for either one of them again, but they were definitely a little bit different in their styles. Oh man, we we wish the best of luck to Jesse at at another country right now, Leipzig. You know, playing, yeah. you know, coaching in Germany. Kind of, you know, I think now I think I can I can speak for all of us that we just want to get it. Yeah, I think we want VIP passes just to see how all these coach interactions go with the players. Because I mean, I you know it must be amazing, man. I, well, not not when you guys are losing, but you know <laughs> when it comes to like you know those pep talks, you know. When it comes down to motivating plays, I would love to see uh, get in on that. But um, yeah. Chris, I have a question. So, you know, we saw that you spent some time in USL, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we've, we've had a couple episodes where we interviewed a lot of USL coaches, some USL players. You know, I'm curious, what do you think on the gap between USL and MLS? How close are the two leagues? Maybe are they vastly different? Uh, is there a sense of, you know, an urgency to win? And also, you spent time there on loan as well. What was your mindset there going on, on going on as a loan player to the USL? Yeah, I think I've I've played maybe a total of five or six USL games, and there is a massive difference. And to be honest, I think it's more physically demanding to play in USL than it is to play in MLS. In USL is primarily American, and I feel like what you get from American players that are trying to break through and make it is a like unbelievably high work ethic, fast pace, a lot of athleticism. No one backs out of tackles. There's it's extremely intense and tough part for me is that I think at this part point in my career, uh, my main attribute is my brain. I like to make things simple and and see if I can predict the game so that no one has to run. Right. And, And I think I have a very good understanding for the game, but in USL games, things happen that maybe shouldn't happen or are unpredictable, and it's it's hard to predict. And so you end up just running, and you end up fighting and battling, and you're bruised up and banged up, and it's a dogfight. It's it's honestly, I know it's a different level from like the prem and championship, but it's what I imagine the difference is similar. Like you get guys from the prem that go to championship and probably can't succeed because the game is so much more physical and so much different and the, the mindset is different and the thoughts behind what's going on in the game are different. And the only way to really succeed is to work your tail off. And so I've got a lot of respect for the guys that play in USL, honestly. And, and I think there is definitely a big gap on the mental side of things, but I think if you bring the best player, maybe the best two or three players from most USL teams and put them in a training session with an MLS team, they'd be, perfectly fine and and they could on any given day be better than you know the bottom half of an MLS roster so I, I don't think anyone in MLS would say like the USL is a bad league or anything like that because it's, it's definitely not and there's a lot of really good players there I just think that the collective soccer IQ may not be 
quite as high. There's not as much, there's not as many special players or plays that are being made, but there are some really, really, really good players there. And I think there's some guys that have had opportunities to play in MLS that play in USL because they know that they can make a difference or there's a little bit more stability, a little bit less politics, you know, and in every MLS roster, there's guys that should be playing, but maybe in their position, there's a guy that's paid a million dollars and the club feels like they have to start this guy that they've invested in. Whereas in USL, the guy who's busting his balls and working the hardest is going to play. And the guy who's making the plays is going to play. And so I think for some guys, that's a little bit more appealing. Uh, again, I think there's definitely a difference, but I wouldn't want to play in USL because it's so physical and less mental. But I, I think the world of a lot of those guys, honestly, and at least for me going down and playing in USL games in, in my career, my whole mindset was if I want to say that I'm better than this league, I have to go down here and prove it. And so not only do you have to match their energy, but you have to show them why it is that you're at the place that you're at because everyone there feels like they've been wronged or been, you know, they have something to prove or something to show and that they should be somewhere else, you know? So the guys that, you know, are whining and complaining about going in on loan to a USL team and don't score goals or don't do their job. It's there's USL guys on that team that are probably better than them on that day. Honestly, on top of that, I think that's why in open cup, open cup is a lot of fun, at least for me. And you usually don't see many like blowouts in open cup. Like the, the MLS teams usually win in each matchup, but every now and then you get an upset and most of those games are not three, four, five, one. It's like a one zero game or a two, one game, something like that, because the difference isn't that crazy. It's just the mentality. I think that's a little bit different. Oh, love it. Love it. Love it. Love it, Chris. You know, I think, I think as fans, you know, we tend to, like, when our team is losing, we tend to say, oh, man, the players aren't working hard enough. Oh, man, they're lacking the work ethic. And I think, you know, based on the coaches we interviewed, you know, you're clearly telling us, listen, USL is not a league to joke about. The work mm -hmm. ethic, the commitment, how hard these players work, it's not something to laugh about. It's not something to overlook. And, you know, hopefully this transitions into, like, you know, MLS and even in the youth level. You know, we want to see the U.S. men's national team succeed. We want them, you know, we want soccer to evolve, American soccer to evolve further. And when we have players with this type of mentality, I can only imagine that it gets better for, you know, in every factor of soccer. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I think one of the main pieces of advice I have for a lot of the young, like homegrown kids that I come across in MLS and like USL guys I've played with or against is like the hard work is fantastic. Keep doing that. Keep working as hard as you can. It'll set yourself apart. But also there's moments when you need to slow yourself down and think because I, it's actually something that I still tell myself now. Jesse Marsh actually instilled this when I was wow. 22, 23 and I would like, be flying to press as fast as I can, dead sprint, and then I'd win the ball and immediately turn it over because I'm still rushing and I'm still, like, caught up in the moment. I think that's what you get from a lot of USL guys, and Jesse used to always tell me, go from 100 to 70. Like, when you're defending, 100% all out, you're gunning it. As soon as you win the ball, calm yourself down to 70 so you can think straight, be calm, connect your pass, make the right decision. And I do think that USL lacks a little bit of that just savviness and a lot of young players lack that. And I think that's something that MLS has. There's some guys that you can't even get above 50. Like, 
they're so calm and composed. You can't, you can't phase them. So I do think there is something to be said for the work ethic for sure, but there's also something to be said for the opposite side of like being able to compose yourself, slow yourself down, be calm on the ball. So it's, it's a little bit of both. I think. That's incredible input. And to backtrack a little bit, take me back to 2015, uh, Chris, you're on a great run of form. I know you just mentioned the U S open cup, but you're Mm. in a great run of form. You coming off of scoring in the Hudson river Derby. And I think you're starting the match against New York Cosmos. Unfortunately, I think you suffered a season-ending injury that game. And mm-hmm. I was actually in attendance that, that night. And the only takeaway that I, can, that I had from the match was it should have not been a yellow, one. Yeah. Two, <laughs> what was going through your mind at that moment? Because I remember the tackle, the collision happening, and the reactions of the fans in the stadium, both benches, and you riling on the floor was just something that I can't seem to forget because it was – pretty intense so what was that process like the recovery period the the mental aspect of having to come back from something like that after being in such a great run of form yeah um it's a lot it's a lot I think it definitely changes you I was I remember Jesse Marsh came to visit me in the hospital right after my surgery and I was in good spirits and I was like yeah I'll be fine like they said three or four months no problem like it's not a big deal and I, it hadn't really set in yet. And while we were joking around, I remember Jesse saying, like, that tackle was a bit naive. And I was like, naive? I win every tackle. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm going to come back and I'm going to be winning. Every- and I, that's just what you think. You know, when if it was like a 90 to 10%, it was like a 10% chance that I was going to win it, and the other guy has a 90% chance he's going to win it, I would dive in there, like, head first and just be like, I'm going to win it, no problem, you know? And... I I remember in that play, like the way we pressed, I knew that if I slid and won that tackle, I was going to, the whole field was just open. You know, that was their left back. I was going to basically break through their back line at half field and just be off to the races. In hindsight, it's, (laughs) it was not a very winnable tackle and it wasn't a necessary tackle. I could have just contained my guy, made him pass backwards and we start over. But I didn't understand that at the time. So when Jesse told me it was a naive tackle, I was like, no, like, you're wrong. Like, I'm just going to win every tackle. And that's just the way it is, you know. But I think it was definitely a growing experience. You know, uh, the recovery was long. I think it took me actually eight months before I could get back on the field. And, you know, there's a lot of up and downs in that because especially in this line of work, we're so used to being independent and relying on our bodies. And then my body's like failing me. So there was a lot of like emotional baggage that came with that. And, you know, Jesse made me see a sports psychologist and it was one of the most impactful things I've ever done in my life. Honestly, I told him, you know, he, he made me see the guy. And I remember telling him like, okay, I'm not going to do it because I think that this whole industry is just hocus pocus. Like he's basically a magician. He's selling something that like doesn't exist. Like I'm fine. Like he's not going to go poking around my brain because it's a, it's a scam. Like his whole job's a scam. And Jesse was like, okay, well, this isn't like optional. You're doing it. And so I talked to the guy and I told him the same thing. I was like, listen, respectfully, like your job is a joke and don't go poking around my brain. Cause there's nothing to find. And he just laughed and we talked for a while and he kept saying like, okay, like call me again tomorrow. Jesse, wants you to do this so we're just gonna have to fulfill those requests i'm not gonna analyze you or whatever because you say you don't want me to can't fight against that like 
you know, we'll be fine. We'll just talk and be friends, whatever. And we ended up talking for like a week. And so before that was about three months into my recovery. And I had been having a nightmare about the tackle that I had gone into every night for like three months. And it wasn't like a big deal to me, but it was just like a hassle. Like I'd wake up sweating and then I'd be like stressed during the day because I kept dreaming about the moment I broke my leg. And so I talked to this therapist for a week of me just saying like, okay, we're just talking because I didn't believe in his job. And then at the end of the week, he was like, oh, hey, by the way, have you had that dream recently? And I was like, "Uh, I guess I haven't. He was like, do you know when the last time was you had the dream? I was like, dude, I can't even remember. That's crazy. He was like, okay, well, if you don't mind me like doing my job real quick, I'll tell you exactly what happened. And I analyzed you from the first second and diagnosed you with this. And like, I have been working to fix it for the last week and clearly it's working. And so he explained it all to me and I was just floored and now i would swear by sports psychology i i think it is wow unnecessary industry yeah that's Um, incredible yeah he was he was able to fix something that was going on in my brain that i didn't even know was there you know and on top of that i was fighting against him working on it you know the the whole thing doesn't really make any sense but the brain's a crazy place man that's an incredible insight chris i (laughs) that i honestly also felt the same way up until i had to see someone my own injury is nothing crazy, nothing like a leg break, but it's that's incredible to hear, Chris. I feel like it made yeah. you a stronger person, possibly, and that's that's beautiful. Yeah, definitely changes your perspective on things, and uh, I think for whatever reason, the way society is going now, it seems like people are more accepting of psychologists and that whole industry. But at least for athletes, it we're like taught to be strong and tough, and like don't let anyone see you sweat and all, you know, all that stuff. And so you end up trying to deal with things that you don't even like, I didn't even know I was dealing with anything, you know? So, and it just manifests itself physically in your body. So I I think it's, uh, you know, there shouldn't be that stigma towards psychology that you have to be crazy to, to see someone. I, you know, I think everyone could, could benefit from it. So yeah. I think for younger players possibly. Yeah. And I think that's honestly one of the biggest takeaways I had from that injury. Like it changed my body. It changed the way I looked at things, but also it kind of like helped me accept that I'm not invincible. Like I thought I was, you know? So, yeah. Wow. Wow. Chris, you know, first, first, you know, thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for sharing that experience. You know, I think again, fans need to realize behind all those press conferences behind all those cover articles cover games behind all those the pictures the you know the podcast the whatever star you know whatever television program whatever cover so and so on etc there's a person behind that and you know yes we hide we hold athletes to this high standard you know that they should always be you know like you said you know be tough be you know role model but they're people at the end of the day and, you know, they go through things that not all of us see. And, you know, I just, I just, again, I want to thank you for sharing that, you know, that experience with us. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, kind of shifting a bit. <laughs> MLS, right? Recently, they've had a common theme of, you know, bringing talents from other countries. I'm curious, being a senior player at a, in a team, FC Cincinnati this year, they brought in, you know, Brenner. A young, mm-hmm. a young, a young Brazilian talent, you know, from straight from Brazil. 
how do you welcome a young foreign player into the team? You know, just not you individually, but as a team, you know, a new country, new language, uh, new team, new play style, new coach, you know? Yeah. Honestly, uh, we all, every new player has to sing in front of the whole team. So, you know, in a, in a locker room, I think the way we welcome people is to make fun of them and kind of get them to let their guard down. And, you know, it's almost like a high school, like, you know, a high school feel sometimes, you know, it's like you come in and you're a little bit shy and a little bit like just trying to observe and you don't speak that much unless people speak to you. But then, you know, we train together every day. You're, you're forced to get to know these guys. And usually you come in during preseason. And so you're spending, you know, 18 hours a day with these guys, you're in a hotel together. And it's like, you know, there's, you can't avoid them and you end up just getting to know each other no matter what. And you know, I've, I've had teammates, you know, when I was in Portland last year, we signed a, a striker from Poland, Yaro Niazgoda, and he spoke like zero words of English when he came here. We were all just like, this guy's kind of weird. Like he won't speak to anyone. He won't even really look at anybody. And once he started learning the language and just figuring out words that could help him relate to people, we were all like, oh, this guy's amazing. He's so funny. Like he's great. You know, and everyone wants to share the space with people that they like. And so you've almost got to do a lot of things wrong to lose people's like respect in the locker room because everyone wants to like each other, you know? So I think welcoming new players is, is fairly easy as long as they're open to it. For most of the foreign players, they can find someone that they have something in common with as far as the language is, or, you know, even if you, no one speaks your language, you'll find someone else that doesn't speak the language either. And you're learning English together. And, you know, there's, there's always, some way that people can can link together as long as they try to so it's uh you know it's a pretty easy process i love it love it love it i mean listen i want you know i want in on coach huddles listen if you're having players sing i want to hear listen i won't sing but i want to hear these players sing that sounds you know <laughs> that sounds great you know uh yeah. really uh really high school vibe to it definitely yeah. so you play fullback and i think certain people underrate the, the fullback position you need to not only defend but you also need to contribute to the attack now I'm curious you know what qualities do you need as a player to stand out in that position I know earlier you spoke about you know the brain aspect the tactical awareness and things of that standard but you know what other attributes help you stand out in that position uh yeah it's definitely a thankless job I feel like outside backs get blamed for a lot of stuff that goes wrong and don't get the accolades for a lot of things that go right you know, even if you look at any of the MLS awards, if they choose the best 11, there's going to be only three defenders and they're all center backs, you know, and you can have an outside back that's having like, it's one of the most important players on, on a winning team. And he's not going to get any accolades. The guys on the team are like, wow, you're really great. And you're really necessary for this team, but outside of the locker room, no one really cares. So <laughs> I think you've just got to be a hard worker. I think, that's the number one thing. You've got to be fit. You've got to be really fit. I think outside backs in most teams run the most out of anybody. And there's just a, there's a mentality, I think, to be able to, to enjoy one-on-ones. I think most of the time on at outside back, whether it's on the ball or defensively, you're in a one-on-one battle. And, and especially in MLS, you know, if, if I'm playing right back, okay, so Sunday I play, I match up against Nani. Okay. You get by Nani. And then the next week you're, you're matched up against, you know, who knows, Nacho Piatti. And then the next week it's Sebastian Blanco. And then the next week, you know, and it's, it's every week. It's like 
there's no breaks. There's no, it's like, oh man, well, maybe I can let the foot off the pedal on this one. But because each week you're playing against the guy that the t- the opponent's opposing team has paid to be their big time player. So you've got to relish the, the battle. You've got to love the one-on-ones. You got to love being an underdog for a bit. You know, it's, uh, it takes a specific kind of personality, I think, to be an outside back, at least in MLS. Oh, man. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, I'm not fit, so I can I can cross out fullback. Maybe goalkeeper or water boy. I'll, I'll stick to the one of those two. You know, maybe an assistant coach. Listen, Guardiola, here, here's your clipboard, you know. No, 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 I'm just kidding, man. No, but I, I love the game for sure. So, Chris, you know, we, we did a little, a little research. You know, we were just diving into other articles, other interviews. And we, we saw, you know, you're, you're currently getting your master's. We heard mm. you're interested in, you know, buying a franchise, owning a franchise. You know, after your playing days, what's next after retirement? You know, do you have any, you know, projects coming up in the works, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was definitely an idea I had for a long time. I'm, I'm finishing my MBA in about six weeks. I'm almost done. But honestly, in the last you know, year, I think, uh, I think it was in January, Portland, I was with Portland and they kind of suggested that they thought that the way I look at the game and my demeanor, they thought I'd be a good coach. And they were like, you should look into coaching and all that. I just kind of laughed and I was like, yeah, no, no chance. I'm not interested. But over the last year, I've kind of given it some thought. And I think that's something that I would be interested in coaching at, at least at a high level. I think I, I've had some experience coaching with kids and I love kids, but I don't think that's the the path that I would like to take. And so I've given some thought to, to coaching, but I, more for me, it's just about keeping my options open. You know, it's hard to think about what the next step is and still put everything I have into this right now, like playing in MLS and giving it everything I have every day, um, because it's it's a lot on your emotions. It's a lot on your energy. And so if you're diverting energy somewhere else, it's really hard to to maintain the level that you need to be at. So I I think that's actually why a lot of players end up getting stuck when soccer finally ends, because it's like you've put so much energy into making sure that you're hundred percent devoted to this. And then when it ends, it's like that feeling you get when like a Netflix series ends and you don't know what to do. You're like, Oh, what do I do now? You know? So yeah, I think uh, I've got a few things I'm interested in, but uh, for now soccer comes first. So, Chris, I'm sorry. So you touched on some mm-hmm. more serious topics with the, the Masters while you were in Portland. And I was just curious, with the creation of the Black Players for Change organization, mm-hmm. how do you think it's helped voice the opinions of minorities within the MLS? And what do you think possibly leagues overseas could possibly take from what you guys are doing to try to implement in their own countries, because it's a problem that we still see prominent in 2021 in the beautiful game. Yeah, honestly, I think if you talk to a lot of different players, you'll probably get a lot of different answers on what the organization is is doing for us and for the league. But for me, I think the biggest thing is just to show MLS and to show the fans that there's not just like one – united voice in this league like maybe mls will put out a statement and people think that that's the way all the players feel but it's not you know there's varying views and and even within the black players for for change there's a lot of discussions about people that feel 
different ways. You know, there's, uh, there's plenty of different voices and people feel differently based on their experiences and based on, you know, the way they view the world. And so I just think it's, it's great to have more voices being heard. I think, you know, I always say that a lot of people try to say like athletes should just shut up and dribble or whatever, but if that were true and you really believe that, then you wouldn't put a microphone in front of our faces. Like you just come and watch a soccer game and then go home and there would be no interviews. There would be no media. There would be no fan interaction, none of that. But people want to hear what we have to say, just not when it disagrees with what they feel. So I think it's good to have more voices. I think the more voices, the better, the more people being heard, the better, and it'll make the players more relatable. I think when you've only got one voice, there's only one type of person that can relate to the players. The more voices you have, the more people that are going to see the players um, as role models and, and be able to understand and relate to them on a personal level. I was just going to add, yeah, we had Quincy Americo on with us. I think he's the director of strategic partnerships for the Black Players for Change and and Mark Anthony Kay. And I, I think they echoed your message, man. Like, I think the players are using their platforms to you know, to stand up for anything that they see. So that's, that's really amazing, uh, Chris. Uh, Chris, we're wrapping it up. I think we just got two more questions for you uh, before we yeah. before we let you go. We don't want to keep you over t- too long. Um, <laughs> I think really the one of the only FC Cincinnati questions I had for you, we left it towards the end. But, you oh, know, boy. just like you mentioned in the beginning, like, yeah, you, I know you mentioned, like, you know, FC Cincinnati, the season didn't go as expected. Um, yeah. You Also in the MLS, you know, it, it, you hate to see it when when a coach loses their job, but just coming from, you know, from somebody in the locker rooms and everything, what do you think the club needs to focus on more for next season? Or what are some things that you probably didn't work well for, for coach uh, Jobstam that, you know, the, the club decided to make a change? Yeah. I think uh, when you've got a team that loses as much as this team does, the problems extend farther than the coach. I only worked with Yop for a month and a half, maybe two months. I liked him. I liked him. I, I thought he might, I was excited to work with him because he's, you know, he was one of the top defenders in the world during his time. And, and to be, to have him coaching me, I felt like I could, I could get a lot from that. I felt like the biggest issue for me with him was that he, after eight years in MLS, I feel like I have a pretty firm understanding of the soccer IQ in the team and in the league and the way people view the game. And I think he sometimes expected the guys to be able to understand things tactically without explanation Um, because maybe in Europe, some things are understood and every now and then you'd see him be surprised when guys couldn't understand what he said without an explanation. And so I think that might've been a little bit of the disconnect there. Um, Tactically, a little bit of the understanding I think maybe was tough, but I think this team has had problems. Of course, I think maybe the coach had a disconnect, but the locker room, I think is not blameless. You know, the guys can do more. The players can do more. The everyone can do more. Everyone from top to bottom in the club can do more. I've been on the best teams and I've been on some bad teams. And from the first day that I stepped in, I saw that this club has everything it needs to be the best. The stadium, the fans, the training facilities, everything is top of the line like everything is top of the line um so for the team to be losing this much i think everyone is to blame you know so it's hard to say what needs to change for next year but i think first and foremost the there's got to be more effort from all the players to be held accountable to take control of this club 
Um, it's, it's sometimes hard for players to feel connected to a club, especially right now with COVID, because you can't get really connected to the fans. But, you know, like for me, for example, I've been traded. I've been bounced around from year to year. It hurts if you get really close to a club and then you have to leave. So sometimes you end up seeing guys thinking more about themselves than the club. And so you have to find a way to get guys to be all in for the club to be able to get results. So I don't know what the solution is, but I think that's definitely part of it. Thanks for sharing that, Chris. I mean, absolutely. Your stadium is beautiful. One thing I loved is the fans still show out, you know, still some great attendance. I hear, you know, the drums in the background while watching it on TV. And on paper, you guys have a solid, solid roster, man. You guys got one of our good NYCFC guys, Ronald Matarita. You got Jeff Cameron. Yeah, you got, um, you know, Lucho Acosta, who I remember him from DC United, uh, the young talent and Brenner. Yeah, on paper, man, solid, solid roster. So I'm wishing you guys the best for next season. And Chris, before we let you go, we decided to just take a quick fan question, you know, from from our Instagram that we got in our DMs. Um, we, sure. we tend to access to a lot of soccer players, but, uh, you know, man, what's a normal game day like for you, man? Do you do any ritual before you go to bed the night before? Anything, anything, anything that you do before the game? Do you have a good what kind of meal do you have? Anything like, you know, that you could share with us, like on what a normal game day like is for you, probably starting from the night before? Yeah, my game days definitely changed in the last few years when I was. In my first few years in the league, I was, like, stressed. Like, I was so nervous. I'd probably spend, like, half the day on game day in the bathroom. Like, just, like, you know, I'd be listening to piano music in my headphones because it was, like, going to calm me down and slow my heart rate. And just, like, I was so nervous. Now, I think there's nothing that's going to happen in a game that I haven't seen before. So there's no nerves. And so night before a game is a normal night, except I just carb load. The day of the game is just, I relax. I, you know, I'll go for a walk in the morning and then it's just a very slow day until the game starts. Uh, a lot of water, but it's just a, a normal day. And then you, you flip the switch when, when you get to the stadium and, and turn it on. But I think for a lot of the younger players, it's probably a lot more of what I was doing when I was, you know, a few years ago, a lot more, attention to detail and you know making sure that I eat exactly the right amount at exactly the right time and exactly the right things because you're nervous and you want to make sure you do everything perfectly but I think for the older guys it's just you know we've done our research beforehand every time I play in a game I've done all my research on whoever it is I'm I'm going up against in hopes that they have to do something out of character to beat me and then the rest is just business as usual so yeah nothing really special all right, Chris. Well, no, we want to say thank you so much for your time. And man, it, it means yeah. a lot that you got to you, you opened up with us. And man, what a heck of a career. We wish you nothing but the best. We're rooting for Cincinnati, man, because uh, <laughs> we, we saw what kind of season they had. But man, you never want to see those things. And now, nah, especially yeah. also some other clubs, too. Like I know Inter Miami had a rough season as well. And, you know, man, no, we're, we're rooting for those clubs. You never want to see, you know, like a coach lose their job or anything like that. And and most importantly, yeah, you, course. man, we, we really respect your career, everything you've had. So. Oh, man, thank you so much. And yeah, man, hope hope to have you back on with us hopefully next season, man. All the best to you. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. That was the interview with Chris Duvall. Andy, just want to say thanks so much for being on with us, man. Anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, floor is yours, man. Uh, score predictions for uh, Sunday, 2-0 to the Pigeons. And um, oh, my God, Jesus Medina, he's going to score one of those David Villa halfway goals just to shut all the haters up. <laughs> but yeah, yo, NYC, we're going to win the cup. Thanks for having me, guys.
Absolutely, Andy. Any anytime, man. Uh, Eric, man, let's get out of here. You already know what you got to do, man. For sure, for sure. Listen, episode 41. Thank you all of you for listening. You know, tune in. We're on YouTube. We're on Spotify. We're on Instagram. Follow us on all our platforms. Of course, NYC is going to take it. New York is blue. And we're going to show the Red Bulls that how to win an MLS Cup. Aside from that, thank you again all for listening. By the way, Ballon d'Or is a joke. Ballon d'Or is a joke. Robert Lewandowski <laughs> was robbed. But no, woo, episode 41. Hey, look, Eric usually give a like to every post that we make, and that was the only one in the whole entire page that he didn't give me one. So I understand <laughs> the frustration. But needless to say, congratulations to uh, Messi and congratulations to New York City FC because they're making history. They're going to continue to make history. Thank you to Andy because we just love how passionate you are. As somebody mentioned it to you, you are the fan that we wish we could be. So thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. And for myself, just want to say thanks to all the fans who've been listening. We'll be back for episode 42. We got another big guest coming up for you guys next week. We're getting to the countdown right before we finish off 2021. So thank you guys for all the support and give us a follow. Give us a like. Uh, we got, we're on Twitter as well. And we'll see you guys next week. You guys have a good one. Take care.